Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Well, and uh, before we jump into that, I'm going to do a little survey of you all here, okay? So I'm curious, how many of you are procrastinators? Put your hands up. Okay, unashamedly procrastinators. All right, and how many of you are planners? I have to have this, okay, and you guys are going, this season has been awful, because you can't plan for anything. Okay, now here's, here's the big one, okay? How many of you like to wait? No takers! I'm not surprised. And in fact, I don't think many people are. It's no secret that nobody likes to wait. And uh, some people, I, I always like to ask the question to, uh, especially kids, how long is too long to wait? And uh, if you were to ask my, my daughters, uh, they would say, one minute is too long. And then another might say, one second is too long to wait. And many of us would resonate with that. At least it would feel that way. And I am, I am unashamedly a planner. And uh, I like to plan not to an extreme. Like, there's some levels of planning. Um, some, some go, like, so far to the extreme, that it's stressful to me. And then there's people like me who just like things organized in a way that I can look at least a bit ahead and go, ah, I feel confident about what's happening, what's going to go on. (laughs) And uh, then there's people who procrastinate. And my wife and I are on two opposite ends of the spectrum. I'm a planner and she's not. And it's a good balance. (laughs) We balance each other out in that way. Um, I'm one of those people who likes to get to the airport really, really early so I can sit at the gate and wait. Because I don't like running through the airports. I just don't, okay? I will sit at the gate for three hours knowing that I'm not going to miss anything. That's just who I am, alright? Other people are not built that way. But regardless of what it looks like, we all have this even consensus that waiting is not fun. And yet, we fully recognize that waiting is a part of life. In fact, we tell our kids this all the time, don't we? Be patient. You just need to wait. Well, we really struggle as parents to live that out as well, don't we? And the reason I bring this up is because there's a lot correlated in this series that we're in right now between uh, this season that we're in and waiting for what's to come and we're not happy about it. We want... What's to come now? We want it here now. And I don't want to have to wait for it. And we're going to look, there's some similarities here in Scripture to this very concept. Last week, we focused on Isaiah chapter 9. And the main idea of last week was that in the waiting, when I know God's promises, hope endures. Amen? In the waiting, in the in-between, when I know what God has promised us, hope endures. And this week, we're going to piggyback off of that, 
And specifically, we're going to be looking at this reality that waiting does not equal inactivity. Waiting equals opportunity. Okay? Waiting does not equal inactivity, and it shouldn't for us as followers of Jesus, but we should see it as opportunity to live fully for Christ. And we're going to unpack that further. Now, I'm going to start in Luke chapter 1, and this is a crucial piece of the Christmas narrative in Scripture. And so you probably recognize this, but as we read through this, I want you to put yourself for a moment in Mary's shoes. And we'll read this and we'll talk a little bit more about it. And specifically, as you, as you think about putting yourself in Mary's shoes, in this, in Luke chapter 1, I want you to think about what God has said in regards to the season of waiting that we're in. And if you don't know, that's okay, because we're going to talk about it, alright? So let's read out of Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no End. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? For I am a virgin. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father, as we unpack this further today, and as we look not only at this, but other passages in your word, I pray that you would open our eyes to see what you have called us to in the waiting. Lord, may you motivate us by your spirit, may you equip us this day, and may it be all for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, stop for a minute and put yourself in Mary's shoes, okay? Angel appears. We don't really know from this point forward how long it was after the angel appeared to Mary before she conceived. Okay? It doesn't say that. We, we read in our Bibles and we, we put it like immediately after. It, it, it doesn't communicate the specifics of this. So after the angel appears, there is no doubt some period of waiting. 
And you could ask the hypothetical question, did she know when this took place? Did she know when she was with child until a little later on? They didn't have ultrasounds then. So there's this period of waiting. And then, after that, there is another period of waiting that ensues, right? Because there's nine months for this baby to grow and develop in the mother's womb before he's born. Waiting. These promises known, and yet waiting. And you have to recognize, man, there's anticipation here. And, and some of you may have experienced that personally, this anticipation of, I, I, I have this anxiety, but yet this, this anticipation of what's to come. And take, take a look back at Isaiah 9 that we talked about last week, and this reality that God had promised redemption and salvation through a child to be born. Hundreds of years before Mary conceived. So there's already been a waiting. And now Mary's in the season of waiting. Knowing the promises of God. But I'm going to tell you, as human beings, we can resonate with the challenge here. And yet, look at her response at the end of that section we just read. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let it be to me according to your word. How many of you read that statement and you go, man, that is the mindset I need to have as a follower of Jesus? I do. Okay, I read that. Now, the real question is, how many of us say, oh, It's super easy for me to have this mindset. None of us. Because it it takes disciplined effort for me to recognize the callings of God in my life and then be willing to wait through the trials for those to be fulfilled. And I'm going to tell you, we're in a season of waiting. Everyone say waiting. We are waiting, waiting, waiting. But you might wonder, what is the significance here of correlating our discussion today with Mary? What, what does this have to do with our waiting, our future hope? Well, I want to go to a couple other passages where you see this imagery portrayed in other parts of Scripture. The first place I want to take you to is Romans 8, 22 through 24. And Romans 8, 22 through 24 says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for hope hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, the imagery here correlates directly to this imagery of childbirth. This imagery of waiting. And in the waiting, there is painful experience here. And recognize for a moment that Romans 8 was written a long time ago. So Matt, you mean to tell me that the world, the earth, believers have been in the pains of childbirth for this long? Yes. Since Jesus came to earth and ascended, church, 
We have been in the last days. And each day that passes is one step closer to a future hope that we look towards with anticipation, or at least we should. And Matthew 24, Jesus actually confronts this very thing. He's talking with his disciples because his disciples came to him and said, Jesus, when is all of this going to happen? When is all of this going to take place? And he says to them, all of these, he goes and he describes all these things, wars, rumors of wars, all these things are happening, but there are but the beginning of birth pains. The beginning of birth pains. That means that we're in a season of what? Waiting. Everyone say waiting. And in the season of waiting, what are, what is it exactly that we're waiting for? What are we looking forward to? Or what should we be? Well, Revelation 19 paints another picture of this. Revelation 19 says, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Okay, this is a picture of what is yet to happen. What's yet to come. And it is known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. The bride of Christ. You're going to get in a quick theology lesson here, okay? The bride of Christ in Scripture is the church. Everyone say the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And in the waiting, the call to become more and more sanctified or more and more holy is in the process of anticipating the marriage between the church and Christ for eternity. That's the hope. That marriage is when there is no more pain, no more sorrow. All of this, the, the trials of this world have disappeared. And we stand face to face with our Lord. That's where our hope is to be rooted. That's the place where our eyes are to be fixed. And Jesus in Matthew 25 kind of finishes out this dialogue and communicates to them that you need to watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Simply put, we don't know when Christ will return. It's not our job to know. And we're going to talk, just to give you a little forethought, later next year, we're actually going to do a series on some of these passages and talk through what are the last days and what should this look like for us as the church. But as we look at the Christmas season... Why is this such a joyous time? It's a joyous time because we have anticipated alongside, if we read the narrative of Scripture, alongside the nation of Israel, we've anticipated a Savior. And you and I get this really unique place where we're sitting here and the Savior has come, He's died, He's rose again. We know the Gospel. We hold the Word of God in our hands. And yet... Church, we are so prone to be some of the most hopeless people. Why? Why? Well, it's because as we've talked in the past, we're still in our flesh, right? 
We're still in this battle, this war that's waging because my flesh is going, ah, my, the world as I know it, the things that are all around me are crumbling, are falling apart. My relationships are falling apart. My job's falling apart. My finances are falling apart. My country's falling apart. The world seems in chaos and we go, ah, I have no hope. But for the person who's in Christ, nothing, nothing, everyone say nothing. Nothing can take away your hope. Nothing can stand in the way of the hope that has been promised and is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And so to pause for a moment, if you are here today and you are without hope, I want to challenge you and encourage you root into what Christ has done. And scripture makes it very clear that if we believe in the name of Jesus to be saved, that's it. There is security and hope eternal in Christ. Everyone say in Christ. And it's in Christ alone. There's another illustration of this, okay? And it's really even more practically an illustration in our own culture. And that's the the illustration of engagement. All right. Now, depending on who you talk to, different people would give you different answers about how long of an engagement is too long. I was engaged to my wife for a year and that was too long. OK, I've known people that have been engaged for four or five years and I go, I have no idea how. But in the midst of that, some people are engaged for very short amounts of time. Nevertheless, culturally, there is this in between that takes place for us between a time that I have decided this is a person I want to spend the rest of my life with and the actual marriage celebration. Now, I'm going to mention this because I've seen it before and this is most prominent within guys that guys can have this tendency To accomplish a task, check it off and be done. In other words, she said, yes, my work is complete. (laughs) And yet, we know, those who are married know, that is farthest thing from the truth, right? Yeah. And so in that in-between time, specifically of engagement, it's an opportunity for us to be in preparation for what's to come next. Now, every earthly illustration falls apart theologically at some point. And in this case, it falls apart in the sense that a lot can transpire that isn't certain or secure within our own earthly ideas of what engagements look like. In Christ, that is not possible, okay? If you are sealed in Christ and the Spirit of God dwells in you, it is done. Everyone say done. It it is a done deal because it is done fully by God in Christ. Not by anything we've done. That's what Ephesians 2, we read earlier. It's by grace you have been saved. Not of works. And so there's security and hope in that, but... The illustration point here, church, is that we are in a period of engagement where we know or we should know where our hope is. And we're in the waiting, anticipating 
what's to come. If you read Matthew 24 and 25, you'll see Jesus share several parables about that very thing. Where he talks about ten virgins that have all lit their lamps and some of them hadn't prepared for this waiting. And so they missed the opportunity. We are in a season of waiting, church. But waiting does not equal inactivity. It equals opportunity. Mary had to wait for the fulfillment of what the angel declared to her. And yet God was faithful as He is to His promises. And they were able to celebrate that. The same is true for us, church. So the question becomes, what should our waiting look like? This is where it gets really practical. So I want to direct your attention, turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. So if you're in Luke, just flip over a few books of the Bible. Luke, Acts, Romans. And go to Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to start in verse 9. Of Romans chapter 12. Says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Everyone say hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, that's prideful, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, there's a huge challenge here. And am I walking and living out the truths just in nine verses of Romans 12? You want a really humbling challenge? Read the whole chapter of Romans 12. Read it with your family and talk about what does it look like? You can just divide those up and take a day and talk with them about what does it look like for us to live like this? Parents, if you want a great devotional opportunity, it doesn't matter how old your kids are, dialogue with them about that. Read through Romans 12 and even start and just take those nine verses and take one of those. Kids, what do you think it means for our love to be genuine? And just talk about that. You may learn some things yourself, right? But all of us have a challenge here to read these truths and go, I'm in a season of what? Waiting. Everyone say waiting. I'm in a season of waiting. What do I do? What does my waiting look like? And I'm going to summarize this in just a couple of specific statements, okay? The first one is love big. Let your love be genuine. In Micah 6, 8, we saw 
love kindness. Let love be big. This, this should be a, such an evident thing for us as the church. And it's not, I, I, and I could, we, we could talk about this for another hour. What, what, is it, what does love really mean? Because this doesn't mean folding over, okay? Love does not equal just, I, I'm going to be a doormat. Because Ephesians 2, if you read further, it says that we need to speak the truth in love. So there's an element here where sometimes the most loving thing I could do is, is, is just to speak really direct truth, but to do so with grace. If you want a major challenge... As to what does it look like for us to love big as the church. Read Luke chapter 6 this week. Jot it down. Read Luke chapter 6. I read this this past week and I was just weeping over the challenge to myself. As to what Jesus specifically talks about love is to look like. In Luke chapter 6. And it, I promise it will challenge you. And, and just read that. Focus in on that and ask you, yourself, ask your family, what does it look like for us to love in a really big way? Right now, in this season, it's really needed and it's really hard. Because there's probably a lot of people on your list of people that you would like to just tell off right now. And maybe you have. And you felt justified in doing so. Well, I'm going to tell you that the call to us as followers of Jesus, because of the hope that we have is to be known for our love. Jesus told that to his disciples. So, read Luke 6 this week. In our waiting, love big. Secondly, in our waiting, serve passionately. Do not be, this is verse 11 in Romans 12, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Everyone say serve. Serving is hard because it's not about you. And we are people that like to be about us. In our waiting, we have the opportunity in Christ to serve others with passion, with zeal, with fervor. Why? Because, my goodness, I see the hope that I've been given in Jesus. My goodness, I see the grace of God shown to me in Christ and I know the person I am. And I don't deserve that. So I'm going to come out of the gate with passion and zeal and I'm going to serve people. And it's really hard to maintain that. And you might look around and you might go, well, I can start off generally really well. But then the minute I serve someone and they stab me in the back or they talk bad about me behind my back or whatever happens, I'm out. There's no more passion, no more zeal. I'm done. Well, I hate to break it to you. Actually, I don't hate to break it to you. I'm glad to tell you. If I lose my zeal and passion because of what someone else has done, my hope was in that relationship, not in Christ. And that is true of anything else where I am prone to lose the picture of who Christ is and what He has done for me. If I am, if I have lost all hope in this season, it's because my hope was in something that wasn't secure. And every one of us has the opportunity right now to root into a hope that is eternal. It's available to all. Serve passionately. Thirdly, in our waiting, contribute willingly. 
Verse 12 of Romans 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. All of these factor into this reality that I'm going to contribute, I'm going to serve, I'm going to participate willingly, not because I have to, not because it's just what I've always done, but because I want to. Why do I want to? I want to because of what God in Christ has done for me. Church, do you see the correlations here? That what we do in our waiting has no bearing upon our salvation. But my goodness, if we really truly believe that Jesus died and rose again and that in Him we have been given life despite who we are, then goodness we need to be motivated every day in light of that gospel truth, motivated to pursue passionately living for Him with a hope and a joy. That's why we celebrate this during Christmas. Because we anticipate, and just like Mary said, I'm a servant of the Lord, let it be to me, exactly as you have said. Lastly, in our waiting, live humbly. This is really what it comes down to, is that in our pride, we are most prone to do our own thing and to respond in our flesh. And so at the end of the day, in my waiting... I need to strive to live in humility. And we could go to so many passages of Scripture that speak about this. Live in humility because I recognize I can't do it. Everyone say, I can't. I can't save myself. But I have been saved in Christ. There was an illustration in regards to waiting that I came across this week as I was preparing, and I just want to share it with you because I thought it spoke volumes to where we're at. In a New York Times article, journalist Alex Stone tells the story of how executives at a Houston airport faced and then solved a cascade of passenger complaints about long waits at the baggage claim. They first decided to hire more baggage handlers, reducing wait time to an industry-beating average of eight minutes. But complaints persisted. This made no sense to the executives until they discovered that on the average, passengers took just one minute to walk to baggage claim, resulting in a hurry up and wait situation. The walk time was not a problem. The remaining seven empty minutes of staring at the baggage carousel was. So in a burst of innovation, the executives moved the arrival gates farther away from the baggage claim area. Passengers now had to walk much farther, but their bags were often waiting for them when they arrived. Problem solved. The complaints dropped. For the same article, Stone interviewed MIT operations researcher Richard Larson, the world's leading expert on waiting in lines. When I read this, I went, how do you get that job? The leading expert for waiting in line. I don't even, I didn't even know that was a thing. Anyway. To discover the psychology behind our waiting. 
What happened at the Houston airport makes for a perfect illustration. According to Larson, the length of our wait is not as important as what we're doing while we wait. Often the psychology of queuing is more important than the statistics of the wait itself. Especially, we tolerate occupied time. For example, walking to baggage claim. Far better than unoccupied time, such as standing at the baggage carousel. Give us something to do while we wait, and the wait becomes endurable. This is why so often waiting on God feels like unoccupied time to us. We wait, but what is really happening behind the scenes of our life? Is God actually doing anything? Waiting on God implies developing a new perspective of what God is doing while we wait on Him. Now church, we get to choose whether we fill our time as we wait or not. And you sitting, and I'm not pointing fingers here, I'm just saying generally, you sitting behind a screen watching the news, scrolling social media, looking at everything that's going wrong, is not occupied time. It's unoccupied time. And it is prone to lead you to despair. But I promise you, if you go from this place and you strive to focus primarily on serving other people, on loving the needy, on mourning with those who are mourning, on rejoicing with those who are rejoicing, on walking and living in humility, you will have a life full of hope. And it's not hope that is rooted here. It's hope that is rooted in the salvation that we have been given in Christ. So I want to ask you two questions as we close. First off, what would it look like to see this season as a gift instead of just growing tired of waiting for it to be over? Now, I will tell you, I have sat and read this question probably 20 times this week after I typed it out. I do not like this question. Because it's really, really hard to see this current season as a gift. But if we believe God is sovereign... And we believe that God is working in the midst of this season. It means that all of this is part of his sovereign plan to bring us to the place where Jesus returns. And so what would it look like for us as the church to see this season as an opportunity? This Christmas season as a chance to celebrate and rejoice and have hope because our Savior is born. He's alive. What would it look like? Secondly, what would it look like to live actively now? Doing what we can rather than focusing on what we can't. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's really easy for us to look at everything we can't do right now. Especially as we head into this Christmas season. But Christmas isn't canceled. Because Christmas isn't rooted in what we do. It's rooted in what God accomplished. In the fulfillment of His promises. What would it look like for us to live actively today? Waiting does not equal inactivity. It equals opportunity. We have ample opportunity, church, to lean into this season and to glorify God in Christ. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And uh, as they do so, we're going to pray and Maybe you're here today and you are wrestling with this reality that I feel as though I really don't have any hope. And I'm going to tell you that if you're not in Christ, 
You don't. Because when this all passes away, there is no hope beyond this world. In Christ, our hope is not of this world. And that's why we have hope. And so if that's you today, I want to challenge you to ask the question, where am I at in my own relationship with Christ? Do I really believe that He is who He says He is? Do I really believe that Christmas is about celebrating the fulfillment of God's promise for a Savior? The one way to eternity. I want you to wrestle with that. And then, if that's you today, after we get done singing this last song, after we're finished, I'm going to be right down here up front. And if that's you, or maybe you are just going, I am struggling to have any hope in this season. I'm just going to be down here, and as people exit, as people are dismissed, I just want to welcome you to come up here and let me pray with you. All right? And, and answer any question you might have to be able to uh, walk with you as far as what do I do now? Okay? We have hope, church. And our hope cannot fade when it's in Christ. Amen? Father, we commit this to you and we know that in you there is hope eternal. And uh, Father, as we <clears throat> as we claim these truths even now in a season of challenge, in a season of trial, with many who are mourning loss, with many that are questioning even your sovereignty, Lord, I pray that you would renew our hope today. Fix our eyes on Christ. And that we would leave here motivated to be a people who loves, who serves, who contribute, who walk humbly in recognition of all that you've done. Lord, may you be glorified in your church. We plead with you. (laughs) Lord, return soon. And until that day, Root us into these truths that we would be the faithful bride of your Son. Make us ready, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.